You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. This season, we are reading Wild at Heart by John Eldridge and Captivating by John and Stacey Eldridge, losing the plot on manhood and womanhood one chapter at a time. I am your host, Janice Legata, and I'll be ripping up this week's chapter with a good member of the Bad Book Club. Co-host, introduce yourself, please. My name is Libby Rosebaugh. My pronouns are she, her. And the quote from my favorite movie is a single drop in a limitless ocean. There's a couple characters who are talking and one of them is trying to discourage the other and minimize him. And, you know, he says, you're not going to amount to anything. You're nothing but a single drop in a limitless ocean. And I love that because that guy takes it and turns it around. And I personally really believe in ripples and the butterfly effect and all that where, yeah, I might be minuscule in the grand scheme of things, but that does not have anything to say about my worth and value as a person. Excellent. So we'll get started with the reading of the opening paragraph. We'll have a discussion and then hear the closing paragraph and send you on your way. For additional context and conversation and the option to listen to these episodes with no ads, I invite you to join the people of Jod by becoming a Jodly or Jod-willing patron on Patreon. But either way, I'm happy you're here and I hope you're ready because without further ado, let's get into... Captivating Chapter 10. We have our mother tongue, which is our native language. We have Mother Earth from which all growing things come. And Mother Nature, the unpredictable source of typhoons and tornadoes. The mother load is the source of riches and a mother headache is one that sends you to bed. The mother of all storms is fierce, and the motherland is the home we left and long for. Mother is the source of life. Mother is powerful. Mother is strong. Mother can nurture, and mother can destroy. Depending on our experiences, the word mother can evoke images of a warm, welcoming woman or turn our blood to ice. So when, where, how did you first become aware of this book? Yeah, so it was published in 2005, if I'm correct on that. And so that was my senior year of high school. It was class of 2005. Um, And so I remember, you know, they would always, I went to a Christian school, of course, Christian church, school, youth group, everything. I lived in a bubble and we would have different like Bible studies, book studies, chapel, whatever, sometimes all together as a school. And then often they would separate the boys and the girls and, you know, talk about whatever should not be talked about in mixed company, you know, purity culture stuff. So I remember that the boys were working through Wild at Heart and the girls were working through Captivating and I definitely read both of them because I always wanted to know what was going on on the other side of the curtain, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) what are they talking about that they don't want to tell us? So I definitely read both of them and I don't have very vivid memories of reading them. It's been a while. It's been almost half my lifetime ago. Um, and then, so also 2005, you know, I graduated and then I went to Bible college 
And so captivating was also discussed in my small group at Bible college. So there is actually the leader of my small group is currently still a very good friend of mine. And she is also deconstructed a little bit more recently than me, but it's so much fun to be able to like go back and rehash some of this stuff and like, Oh my God, can you believe we used to like study this with like wholehearted, like concentration and like, how can we live our lives according to these people's values? <laughs> Ooh. So how did you feel about the prospect of reading some of it again right. in 2022? Well, I'm glad that I didn't have to read the whole thing. One chapter was enough. So yeah, I, I kind of thought maybe there would be some tough stuff to read. Maybe it'd be a little bit triggering and it really wasn't too bad. I mean, it's, it's some tough stuff to read and it's kind of disappointing and sad and a little, little bit ridiculous, but I was pleasantly surprised that I was not too triggered by it. It was okay. Like going through and it's more on the funny side to me now, you know, what has it been like 17 years? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, which is insane because the year 2000 was, no, that was literally like two years. Ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I will say that this is one of the maybe perhaps the best chapter in this book. Oh, really? I got to this one and I was like, "Oh, this is it's bad, but if this like if this chapter was the only chapter of this book, I'd be like, oh, I might let it I might let it pass. Oh yeah. I might let it <laughs> sit there like it's not not the greatest, but it's, it's definitely not the worst. And yeah, may in fact be the best of this book. Wow. So <laughs> what chapter did you have and what, what was it about? Oh, I had chapter 10. The title of it is Mothers, Daughters, Sisters. And so I think okay. the premise of it is pretty much that we as women find our fulfillment in stepping into these roles that God gave us. And I just, you know, I have a whole bunch of notes here, but with the title <laughs> mothers, daughters, sisters, I thought, is this our identity defined by our relationship to family members? That's it. And that's it. And that's, and that's it. Yep. Like, <laughs> That's basically what this chapter says. Like that, that is how, that is how you find yourself. That is how you define yourself. And that's it. Mm -hmm. So you said you have a lot of thoughts. I do. Should we just start at the beginning and <laughs> start at the beginning? Yeah. See how far we get. Right. Okay. I mean, there is the introduction. So, you know, it, it, it kind of starts right off the bat with the gender binary that is obviously classic religious feature. So there's this line, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I think this is John writing the introduction. So, you know, he, he talks about Wild at Heart was fairly straightforward. Not that men are simpletons, but they are the less complicated of the two genders. <laughs> 
I'm like, okay. So you have no emotional depth, no intellectual depth. You're, why did you write your book then, Wild at Heart? I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. And then in that same paragraph, they use the word crazy. And so it's become a source of shame. Women almost universally feel they are too much and not enough, which can be true. But he says it's crazy making. Like, hmm, okay. So, you know, he's saying men tend to pull away from the deeper waters of a woman's soul. So I'm not sure, like I've seen that for sure, especially in church and in straight Christian relationships, because I think there is a lot of misogyny and not wanting to give any respect to your female counterparts qualities. So yeah, it's just that one, one of those weird, toxic masculinity stereotypes and has so much to do with religion. So then at the end Mm -hmm. of this paragraph, he's talking about how, you know, how the men have just basically disregarded women. And for them, then they miss the richness that femininity was meant to bring to their lives. Like, oh, okay. So my femininity and my qualities are not really for me. I am this complimentary part to whatever man claims that God told him to be with me. (laughs) Which is awful in so many ways, but also like it, it literally just turns women into this afterthought addition Mm -hmm. because you know in the creative narrative up until man everything is getting bigger and better and you know getting closer to whatever god's perfect ultimate design is Mm -hmm. so you would think you know women are the last thing created so like we're it the masterpiece doesn't get better than this right right (laughs) but he's like no Man was the masterpiece, but then God just forgot a few things. Yeah, like some accessories, like throw those in there. Right. So, so he, here's here also is this hat I made for you. Mm-hmm. Here you go, woman. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so then they're kind of a little bit shitting on other religious books about femininity and womanhood, and I think they kind of had some sort of like idea that they were a little bit progressive maybe in that they were encouraging these innate feminine qualities that God has given all women. And then they say, but femininity cannot be prescribed in a formula. There is no one size fits all pattern for God's women. I would agree to that, but then (laughs) the entire chapter is all women. All women have this. You are born with this. God gave you this as a woman. And here's the answer for your life. I don't need to know you. I don't need to know anything about you, your wants, your needs, your personality, nothing. Here is what God gave all women. So, yeah. Yeah. So no one design as long as it fits in this one design. Right. Right. Yep. 
go nuts within this box. Yes. <laughs> you can choose the pattern on the china. Oh, so yeah, there are. Because that is what you have been perfectly designed to do. Right, exactly. Now, Stacy kind of laments that she only had sons, so she couldn't have tea parties. Thought, hmm, <laughs> I think you could have. Like, can boys drink tea? I don't know. Apparently not. Apparently not. <laughs> they don't drink tea and they don't brush their hair. No. And they don't enjoy getting to know women on a deep level. Right. Because who, how could they even? They don't have the you capacity for that. Too much and not enough. Right. Hmm. So, yeah, there are yeah. quite a few references to, you know, these essences that God has given to every woman. And then this assertion that basically all of us who are reading this book or who should read this book have lost this treasure that is our heart, our priceless feminine heart. We've all lost it. And here they are to guide us back to it. <sighs> and aren't you so thankful? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because what would we have done without them? Oh, I don't know. But yeah, so that's just the introduction. Mm -hmm. So here we go. It starts off with a Bible verse, one of just a couple that they reference from Genesis 3, mm -hmm. verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Okay, I'm not sure what that has to do with really anything, but that is the scripture reference they have here. And she does talk about fallen Eve versus I don't remember where it was down here way further down so it's like a fallen Eve versus whatever other Eve there is redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. Eve yes thank you ah, so there are references to Eve maybe that's why they put it in there and you know it says mother and they that's in the title so right this has got to be going back to the original yeah right yeah right so our there's this line here that says whether good or bad redemptive or destructive our relationships with our mothers affected us to the core of our being helping to shape us into the women we have become I thought, well, yeah, usually, I mean, in a lot of cases, yeah, generational trauma, adoption, separation, neglect, we know that those all harm a developing and vulnerable baby. And connection, nurture, comfort, attention, all strengthen a child's well-being. That is definitely true. Mm -hmm. So I will give them that. So then in the next paragraph, they say the desire in a daughter to please her mother is matched only by her desire to be separate from her. I thought, oh, okay. I think that's probably true in a lot of cases, but I could think of like a bunch of people I know who don't really have a hot and cold, like black and white up and down volatile relationship with their mother or whoever else in their life. So I thought, hmm, okay. So she's okay. taking her experience and applying it just to women in general. Okay. 
Um, in the next paragraph, we get into purity culture already. So there's <laughs> a mother saying to her daughter, you're not going to wear that, are you? But there's no examination that these clothing standards are steeped in purity culture and patriarchy that view women and girls as sexual objects and view men as as predators and that Mm -hmm. we have that you know even mothers have a sort of like internalized misogyny of like this is what I've been told this is what appears to be and I'm passing that on to you so we're seeing a lot of generational trauma here and yeah, it's not really it's not really gone into much at all here. Right, right. Because even just the way it's all set up, you know, from that whether good or bad, whether redemptive or destructive, like there's a lot there's a lot of in between that. Right. And all of these relationships she talks about with mothers and daughters in particular, like it's all this very black and white, very good or very bad. Like there's so much middle room. It's like most of our relationships with our mothers are not good or bad. They're good and right. bad. They are redemptive and destructive at different turns. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, like this is, it's making me so sad because so much of this is the issues that she's talking about and the negativity that is between mothers and daughters, you know, that I've experienced. I'm like, it's because of religion. Mm-hmm. It's because of so much of it stems from this version of Christianity. Like, and it's, it's like impossible to separate out, you know, you can't try to say, well, God wants to redeem this. When also at the same time, you guys' version of God is responsible for a lot of this. Right. And it's, you know, you can't write this book without trying to imagine, well, what, what book would she be writing if, Christianity wasn't on the table if Christianity wasn't in the middle of all this. Yeah, I don't think she would have written a book if there hadn't been all this. (laughs) Right. I think they it's viewed very much, uh, you know, as religions in general can be with very binary black and white thinking and there is no like room for the gray areas. There's no room for things that can in some ways be one thing, can in other ways be another, depending on perspective and circumstances and all that. It's very much like good or bad. So there's, yeah, there's not much room for nuance. There's, yeah. (laughs) I found none. Right. None in this book. Because like you said, there's so much just, just glossed over. Yeah, just generational trauma. Like she's just dropping facts and this this part of the story. You're like, whoa, like these things don't just come out of out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, to go on and talk about, you know, smoking in fifth grade and you know, just all the bad behavior she gets. I'm like, that's not that's not usual uh, for a girl to start smoking in fifth grade just out of a regular, regular just kind like she never says her home life was like overly abusive, mm-hmm. 
Uh, she she mentions some stuff sometimes like that's a little, it's a little weird and creepy. But you're glossing over it, so we're just going to keep moving. So you're not saying anything, like I said, super abusive happened in your childhood. It just sounds like that is, a, is to say kind of just regular, degular, mm-hmm. not even neglect, just like parents not necessarily connecting with this particular child. Right. So um, she has that with her mother, but then she says like her father is very much the other way. So he, you know, wanted her from the beginning, was all very happy about it. Um, and, um, you know, they do talk a lot about in previous chapters how the father is the most important you know figure oh i missed that for both children for males and females um, <laughs> yeah because which you know surprise surprise of right course, misogyny is gonna say no mm-hmm. like men their relationship with their daughters have the most impact on them. So, like this book just wants to have it both ways all the time because on one hand fathers are the most important but now we're going to go into how I'm all messed up because my mom was this way. So it's just like you're leaving a lot out that's not explaining why that you smoking in fifth grade in previous chapters. She said like she was, you know, depressive and suicidal at like age 10. No, like these aren't just things that spring up in childhood just out of, like I said, just regular, regular kind of. Right. Yeah. I think there's probably a lot there that so was unspoken. And so it's like, we're not, you are using your story to address all of us, but you're not even giving us all the facts of your story. And it seems to be just a lot of, yeah, trauma, generational trauma. There's a lot going on underneath the surface here Mm -hmm. that we're not getting. Right. But then you're giving us very surface answers. Yeah. Whatever can be like packaged up in a little, little box with a bow on it and published yeah yeah (laughs) so here you go have this oh it's like vague enough that hopefully everyone reading it can relate to it i don't know yeah and it is like you if you're making such large general statements even in the introduction yes who hasn't felt like oh i'm too much and not enough Mm -hmm. right but not that revolutionary no john (laughs) you're gonna have to do better than that yeah they have a good line here that i agreed with that is girls hearts flourish in homes where they are seen and invited to become ever more themselves and i thought oh well that's that's Mm -hmm. good because that is true being loved and accepted for who you are absolutely that helps children flourish. I'm not sure that that acceptance would be, you know, given unconditionally, (laughs) no matter who this girl, you know, was or wanted to be. I haven't really seen Mm -hmm. that very much myself in the Christian world. So I come to that with like, oh, yeah, that is right. that is true. I wonder how much that actually happens. This book exists because it doesn't right. really happen. And to kind of help it continue not to happen. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because right. mothers, mothers rightly teach their daughters how to behave and what to believe. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Because it would be better if it was how to believe. The oh. problem becomes when you're telling... Again, you're putting these, these designs 
on this thing you just said can't be designed. Mm -hmm. It's like if, if mothers want to change how things have been, you know, because I'm assuming this book is coming from the perspective that, you know, (laughs) mothers before this didn't have captivating. So this book exists now (laughs) and, you know, dealing with fallen Eve and redeemed Eve, uh, most of our mothers probably couldn't help but be acting as fallen Eve. Uh, And so now daughters are supposed to take this book and kind of blame their moms, but then also forgive them. But then also kind of harken back to what they have taught them about how to behave and what to believe. It's like they can't. Can you blame daughters for wanting to throw that out? Well, they sure can. Because by your own. Right. (laughs) Even though by your own standards, it seems that you'd be like, no, like they did their best. But they were acting as fallen Eve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now here's a new here's a new way to to mother to sister to relate. Right. But it's like no. They uh, they knew the way. Unless you have gone off track. Now your job is to come back to their way, and get on track and get into this design that cannot be designed. Yeah. Like it's just so circular. Mm-hmm. It is crazy making. Yeah. <laughs> they were right. Oh, yeah. It's like they're right as often as they're wrong. Or may- maybe not quite, but yeah. yeah. They've got enough enough <laughs> truth in here that like parts of it do ring true. And so I think that's part of the the harm of it is that a lot of people would read it and be like, yeah, yeah, I relate to that. Yeah, that, that seems like how it goes and yada yada and then they slip in these other things it's like oh okay now i i feel ashamed again about my humanity and the desires of my heart and maybe where i fall short yeah it's and you can't help but fall short because you are Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure how any of us really become the redeemed Eve. I wasn't clear on that. I think we'll get to that in a little bit. So I had one more highlight here on this on this page that said so she's talking about, yes, like the smoking and feeling worthless and all this stuff. And she says the choices I made from that place brought death to my own soul and death to others as I slid ever more deeply into despair, both hating and hiding myself. Which, I'm not sure. I mean, if if that's how she sees it, then okay. But also, if I were to know everything about everything, I would say that religious indoctrination, you know, caused this dynamic where her parents maybe couldn't talk to her about, you know behavior or self-care or any of these other things that I think she was probably lacking. Right. I've noticed a little bit of a theme in this chapter is that Stacy in some ways really beats herself up for her choices and basically just her humanity. She finds you know, she thinks a lot of it is bringing death, you know, when it's maybe some 
unwise choices or whatever else, but to be saying bringing death, I'm like, wow, that's, a, you know, that's a little extreme, just a little, I don't know. Uh, and then I don't want to skip too far ahead, but she starts talking about reconciling with her mother. So she had had that kind of tumultuous relationship with her mom. And when she's starting to talk about their reconciliation, I notice that the way she talks about it is that God addressed something. God showed me blah, blah, blah. I was compelled by God to go and visit, you know, her mom. So Stacy will take these things on herself when they're negative or she viewed them as sinful, harmful, all that kind of stuff. That's all her, right? And then anything good, instead of it being like, I felt like my intuition, you know, like, leading me a certain way. No, it's God. Like, <laughs> and it's God that compels me to go see my mother. And, you know, I think with that sort of like putting the good things on God, and also I think a lot of us maybe grew up with oh, the sin of offense, right? If somebody offends you right. and harms you, then if you're offended, that's your sin, right? So like... God will call us to reconcile with basically everybody, right? I'm not sure. But like, that is not always healthy or helpful or a good choice. And I don't think there's really any sort of like discussion of that. It's just that, hey, their relationship was not great. And God called Stacy to reconcile with her mom. And so, yeah, there's no discussion of, you know, boundaries or maybe abusive relationships or any of that kind of thing. It's just very much like, you know, we've been apart and God wants us to be back together. So, right. <laughs> and only now and only, you know, at the very end, because mm -hmm. it seems like God could have done this the whole time. But well, it's all in God's timing, Janice, you know, <laughs> God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> Apparently so. Even though up until that point, it had been God coming between them, basically. Uh, I guess she talks about, you know, being raised Catholic. Right. So her mom is Catholic. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> by the grace and to the glory of God, I became a Christian in my last year of college. And then that became like a issue between them. Right. Because now they're arguing about religion. Right. Yes. They could not even talk about anything except the weather. So she says, we talked about the weather years. for 15 years. Thought, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I understand that. Mm -hmm. But that definitely comes from evangelicalism right like, plays a huge part because she even right because she even says you know her mom was glad glad i stopped doing drugs we pretended she didn't know about any of the sexual sin she was glad i was praying again but she was deeply grieved that i wasn't going to her church and I, I guess that could be true but i just don't really see it from i know that of evangelicalism right 
I guess it could be true in Catholicism as well, but it, like, it just seems like, how's your mom happy with all this list of things? Like, if this thing is working for you mm-hmm. and it stopped all this stuff, it's possible that, yeah, she could be like, mm, but you're not going to my church. But apparently you were going to her church. Like, I'm more prone to believe that it's you in evangelicalism mm-hmm. being like, oh, no, because your church isn't, isn't real. Right. It's that projection of what, you know, very possibly Stacy thinks about Catholicism and she's just projecting that right. <laughs> back. Yeah. Right. And probably coming at her mom with that, with that, just that evangelical sense of right. No, we have, we know the, the right answer mm-hmm. and it's cute what you Catholics are doing over there. Right. But I wasn't really saved when I was a Catholic mom, and you're probably not really saved. Exactly. Yeah. Spoken or unspoken, and it was likely spoken, I'm just going to say. <laughs> it had to be, because like, we couldn't, when we would broach the subject of faith, both of our defenses rose like battlements. Mm-hmm. We um, couldn't see each other over them, let alone hear what the other was saying. That it being a shared joy, our doctrinal differences became a barbaric fence. We could not cross. Yeah. And I just, who ha, who's having the doctrinal differences? Like, your mom has been believing what she's been believing the whole time. You're the one coming in with whatever this newfangled thing is. And from what I know about evangelicals, probably being a dick about it. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they have to, right? Like, that's the Great Commission is that you've got to go out there and evangelize. So my assumption is, oh, like the barbed wires, the the issues that are coming up because of the faith are coming from the evangelical side. Mm -hmm. I'd be, yeah, I'd bet money. I'd say at least like 90%. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they talk about the weather for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And then mom gets sick Mm -hmm. and then God decides, oh, now would be a good time to fix things. So God got addressed, God showed, God compelled. Mm. It's all God, right? Anything good that happens. Oh God. Any of this reconciliation. All the good stuff. It's, you know, it's because God restored it. Right. <laughs> God restored much to us in those months. Weeping now as I remember. So... Thank God. Right. <laughs> and then, yeah, so, I mean, she tells the story, and you can't be you can't be mad about a story of a mother and daughter reconciling. Right. I think um, that's beautiful, you know, no matter what, as long as there's not still currently abusive uh, dynamics going on, then, yeah, reconciliation is beautiful, whether it's uh, God's doing or your own intuition and heart. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. So it's a beautiful story. But I mean, this is this is Stacy's book. So yes, it's going to use her story. But it just feels like with this story, with so many things in this book, like she's come down, she's come and landed where she is because her testimony happened to work out this way. Right. Right. And it's wonderful that you and your mother were able to reconcile. But this doesn't happen for everyone. Can't happen for everyone. And like no. shouldn't happen for right. some people. Right. And and like 
from both ways. Like, not everyone has this kind of tumultuous relationship with their mother. Mm -hmm. Not everyone, not every relationship needs this level of reconciliation. And again, I think evangelicalism just sows, sows a lot of these divisions, a lot of these problems. Like, it's just creating problems that, mm -hmm. that then it wants to solve. Right. But like, if we had just taken this piece out from the beginning, we wouldn't have even had a lot of these issues. There would have been a lot of holes in that Bible if we'd taken out. Yeah, I yeah. I guess there was also another part. I know it's a little just not completely related, but she puts it in here when she was six years old and she was in the doctor's office. She had almost cut her finger off and she looked up at her mother and her mother said that it was hurting her far worse than it was hurting Stacy. And I just thought, oh, that's interesting. I had heard that so many times when I was a kid and my parents were spanking me, they would always say, like, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And every time I was like, excuse me? Like, are you the one being physically hurt, emotionally hurt, like, shamed and humiliated here? If it hurts you more, let's right. just, let's just like stop doing this. I'm cool with that. <laughs> and that's the thing. And I can see how it would, it would, and it, it should hurt you to hurt your child. Mm -hmm. And if this is something you, again, without evangelicalism, without this religion, probably wouldn't do then yeah, it is going to be hurtful to like be going against, to be feeling like, oh, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like you said, then, not, then let's not do this. Hey. We don't have to do <laughs> yeah. this. But there's this twisted, twisted love that evangelicalism is built on anyway, right? Even this idea that God is so hurt by, you know, having, having to kill his only son for us. Like, oh, that hurt him so much more than it hurt us. But he chose that. Right. Like, yeah. Who set that again, whole thing up? God, if this hurts, <laughs> if this hurts you so much and it's hurting Jesus <laughs> right. and it's hurting, we don't have to do it. Yeah. That. This is like a lose-lose situation here. And yet there's this idea that we have to continue on the process. Right. Right. And so with that story, yeah, and, you know, the doctor is shooting painkiller directly into my wound. Again, we're not, yes, we have heard, a lot of us have heard that, no, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And it has always or generally been in that context of, yeah, like spankings and punishment and that kind of stuff. But, like, that's a weird thing to say to a kid. Like, if this injury has nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. How how does that comfort the kid? Right. You know, like it's like invalidating Stacy's oh pain. Right. Yeah, like like oh, it hurts me more than <laughs> You why why would you say that in this situation? Yeah, like Stacy's the one with the finger falling off, getting like a shot of painkiller in her open cut apart finger and her mom's like, "Oh, well, it you know, this obviously hurts me more." More, more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just thought that was kind of like a weird, weird thing to pop in there. And it just relates to, like, this idea that 
our parents, you know, they know better and they care more and yeah, it's uh right. Definitely some gaslighting. <laughs> Even 100%. Cuz yeah, they know more, they care more, uh, hurt more for you, but at the same time you've also built this woman up to be not the greatest mom. You know, when I was 6 years old, I I nearly cut my finger off in a slamming door. Mhm. You're six. What what actually happened? Right. Here? Who who slammed the door? Who, who slammed that door? How did that happen? Like why why are you as a six year old taking on all the responsibility for this? And again, your mom is no, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Like like this is one of these things where first of all, I don't know if this story is true hmm. because so much of this book is a work of fiction. Yeah. But if it is true, again, you're just you're speeding past a lot of details <laughs> that could be important and might be saying more. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they're just not included because they don't quite fit the the narrative. Right. Like there's something more going on here, or you just took this story and maybe you really did slam your finger in the door and have to go to the doctor. But your mom probably did not say that at that moment. It would just be a strange thing to say, I guess. I don't know. I think they just wanted to get this point in here about how mothers feel about their children. But, like, you could have... <laughs> this was the best story you could come up with to, like, segue into that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, you had to... Had to have, like, this masochism in there yeah you couldn't just we couldn't just skip to a mother's heart is a vast and glorious thing no you know <laughs> they have to show that the mothers really do hurt more than their children who are in actual pain or hurting who are in actual extreme mm -hmm. traumatic that pain. would be excruciating <laughs> yeah and it's this like, extreme story, but you're just glossing past so much stuff. Like, we probably all had our finger caught in the door, slammed in the door at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's like, the closing of the door and then the opening of the door. And like, the whole situation is traumatic. So it's not just the, you know, getting to the doctor and having the painkiller. Like, this would have been like a, a straight hour of trauma. Mm -hmm. Just trauma after trauma. And then your mom's response is, Ugh, sorry, kid. It's hurting me more than it's hurting you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not like a. Be blessed. Yeah. Not like a hug and and holding her and like I know it hurts, honey, and even like I wish I could take it away and you know the empathizing. No, it's just like it's almost like right. hey, stop crying because like this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. <laughs> and you don't see me crying. Right. right. <laughs> Oh, yes. But yeah, again, this is an extreme book and everything is extreme and black and white. But it's like we're only seeing we're only seeing these moments of, of love and these extreme moments. So we're going from the door slamming and this doctor and the painkiller and all of this to like her mom literally wasting away and not being able to walk anymore. Mm -hmm. And these are the moments when we like see their love. Right. Yeah, it's not in the everyday, it's not a, you know, super frequent, understood 
thing that would even go without saying. I mean, it goes, it's not being said for way too long. Right. And honestly, from her mother's side, still doesn't get said. Because she tells all these great stories and then so many times, it's right, you know, I could see it in her eyes. Even though she couldn't say it, wouldn't say it, didn't say it. Here's what I interpreted. Right. You know, in the end, from how she looked at me, from how she held my hand, from how she did all these things. But like, the mom never really says anything. No. It really. No, except for looking at a picture of her and saying, oh, weren't you so cute? Right. (laughs) Right. Which is what this book says all women want anyway, right? Our big question is, am I lovely? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is her mother answering that question. And that's the best she can do. Yeah. And that's literally all we get from her, Mm -hmm. which is sad. Like this book, this book bums me out all Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine reading the whole thing again. Oh my God. (laughs) So much of it. It's just like, Stacy. Are you okay? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah. (laughs) So the next, the next chunk um, is about our roles as women to mother. So they're using the word Mm -hmm. mother as a verb rather than a noun. All women are not mothers, but all women are called to mother. I thought, hmm, okay. And there's another reference to being daughters of Eve. Okay, okay. And so in this role, we are partnering with Christ in the vital mission of bringing forth life. Okay, there it is. We're not, you know, like on our own thing. We're just the partner. And then, of course, like they're given some verses here, some scriptures. And so it's, you know, in talking about a child and, of course, since it's scripture, it's using he, him pronouns. So I thought, yeah, okay, that checks out. Like, no matter that it's a a book by and for and about women, you know, um, we're just going to default. We're going to default back to male, especially when we're referencing scripture okay so train up a child in the way he should go mm-hmm. and when he is old he will not depart from it it and this is one of those places too where it's it's like oh y'all are saying the right thing and you're so close but <laughs> then you're gonna turn around in just a minute and and validate everything you just said right because it is you know a beautiful translation of that that it's not about it's not about speaking of training up a child to follow Christ or promising that if you do, the grown child will continue to follow him. Right. It's about raising a child to know who he is and guide him into becoming ever more himself in the way he should go. Mm-hmm. The way you would like him to go, you know, but yeah, in the way he should go. And you're like, yes, that's great. But then <laughs> again, you're going to turn around and invalidate all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, this is a book about for and allegedly by a woman, but you can't even give it to us in this little paragraph. Mm-hmm. You have to say he. Mm-hmm. And yep. like it would literally have killed you guys to just say she 
Well, right. Just for this paragraph. I mean, can you imagine? And then, you know, this calling to mother makes up part of the very fiber of a woman's soul. So it's not like women as being accessories, you know, take it or leave it. But we are, we are as women called to mother. So yeah. yeah. So there's a lot in here. We are getting a reference here from a CS Lewis from the book, the great divorce, which I have not read. So I'm not really familiar with that, but I guess there is a meeting up in heaven and a teacher is showing him, I guess C.S. Lewis, I don't know, around when they encounter a woman of stunning beauty. So already we're kind of introduced to like, here comes a story of a woman who is stunningly beautiful and should probably be emulated because obviously this desire to be captivating is the entire thing here. So, you know, whole point (laughs) basically oh she's just like a a nobody it's someone you'll never have heard of her name was sarah smith she lived here blah 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 like she's a normal person oh but she's one of the great ones and so basically the thing is that she was very loving and nurturing and she mothered a whole lot of people unrelated to her. So that is this whole, like, even if you don't have your own children, you're still a mother to others. And that, that is really what makes you beautiful. Yeah. And it, and the great, the great divorce is, yeah. One of C.S. Lewis's allegories. So it's basically about kind of like this version of, of the afterlife. So it's not the heaven you think of, but it's like all these people just on a bus kind of like driving through the night and different people get off at different stops and, and whatever. Uh, so, yeah, so this is this is this woman in the afterlife um, and basically, is, you know, she's stunningly beautiful. And so we don't know what she looked like. In real life. But yes, because she was this amazing mother, even though she wasn't a mother, here she gets to, you know, (laughs) forevermore be known as a stunning beauty. Mm -hmm. And it, I don't know, so much, so much of evangelicalism, so much of evangelical parenthood, so much of, so many of these stories, like scarcity is at the back of all of it. So even this idea that, you know, oh, she... She was loved by all these people. And then, like, the immediate concern is, like, well, wasn't that hard on their own parents? No, there are those that steal other people's children, but her motherhood was of a different kind. There's, like, who's out here, like, stealing children? Oh, like, there's just this kind of, like, this ownership kind of theme or this idea that, like, children belong to their parents. And, you know, this woman helped out. She mothered but like also knew her place, mm-hmm. kind of stayed in her place and, and didn't take from the other parents. So it's just this really, just this weird, weird way of just looking at relationships in general, mm-hmm. but especially 
with women, again, it is very important that you know your place. Mm. And so as an actual mother, again, they don't say much about it in this chapter, but in previous chapters, like they have said how important fathers are more important than mothers ultimately, but so mothers, (laughs) yes, you are important, but stay in your place Mm -hmm. in your own family. And then women who don't have families of your own, you still need to mother other people, Mm -hmm. but also stay in your place. Right. Right. And you know, when you bring that up about, you know, there are those people that steal other people's children. Like, I think a big thing in especially evangelical churches is this, like, adopting kids from, you know, maybe, like, other countries or the foster care system or anything else where, you know, for whatever reason, and these people think that like, oh, I am, you know, I've been called to mother this child and take them. And now they're going to be raised up, uh, in such a, such a blessing, uh, to be raised in this family with us. Um, and that happens a lot. And I think it's also like, it's a kind of a cultural norm within a lot of churches. Yeah. Yeah. And there is this idea again in evangelicalism, like, cause we're all adopted in, right? And so there's only, if you, you know, if evangelicalism steals you away from your family, then that's for the best. Mm. Like, yeah. You should be grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And however that happens. Mm-hmm. So if it happens, again, people deciding other cultures, don't you know they don't worship the right god mm-hmm. they don't do it the way that we do it so it is better for this child to be not with them and to be with us yeah. because we have the truth mm-hmm. we have we have what's better so if that's happening to native children it's fine and also if it's happening to you know white children later in life if you know, you have to choose between this religion and your parents. Mm. You better choose this religion because this is better for you. So again, it's, you know, evangelicalism selling and driving these wedges that then in a few years time, it's going to turn around and offer you a cure for. Right. Yeah. You've been harmed by this, but we also have the cure. So come back and let us help you. Right. And the cure is basically realizing that harm was good for me, mm-hmm. ultimately. Yep. Yep. And now the best thing I can do is perpetuate it on someone else. Well, yeah. And keep it going. Of course. Yes. That's what you're called to do. Yeah. Yep. Right. Because if we're all being harmed, then it's not harm anymore. Right. And it's just the way, the way it is. Mm-hmm. And I will say I got personally offended in this little section because she tells the story of a courageous African-American woman who was thrilled to purchase her first home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You did not have to, you have not, African-Americans have not been in this book thus far. Right. We did not need to appear now. Yeah. She chose to go there. just wanted to make it clear. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) That this black woman who was purchasing her first home 
is doing so in a neighborhood with drug dealers. Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't stand for it. Head held high, finger wagging. He mothered them to higher aims. Stacey, if you don't get all the way out of here <laughs> with this. Yeah. Yeah. Stereotypical bullshit. Like, what? No. So no, I, I took personal offense to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's all, all women are called to mother. Yes, and all women are called to give birth. And then, of course, they say, like, a woman, a woman is not less of a woman because she's not a wife or is not physically born a child. Hmm. But kind of the whole premise of this <laughs> goes against that, right? Yeah. It's like this is one of those, one of those places where they have to, they have to hedge their bets, mm-hmm. right? So they have to. Well, I mean, we know there are a lot of single women in the church, so we have to say, I mean, you don't have to be a wife. <laughs> you don't have to physically bear a child. You're not less of a woman, but... But we all know what the end goal here is. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just that last line that says, you know, it's when we enter the world, into our world, and in the lives of others we love and offer our tender and strong feminine hearts, we cannot help but mother them. And oh my God. Yeah. So. My friend who I talked about, who was the leader of our small group, who's since deconstructed, I was actually chatting with her about this. And she's like, why is caring for a friend mothering them? Why isn't it just friendship? I don't want to mother other adults. Yeah. And like the weirdest thing, the most frustrating thing about this chapter to me was that it's not until literally like the last paragraph before she goes into this these song lyrics or whatever mm, they are mm-hmm. while our heart drinks deeply yeah. and rests in god's good heart he mothers us for the we continue that is the first time god is mentioned in any sort of mothering kind of language any kind of concept. like this whole chapter could have been about how god god mothers how God is also a mother. Hmm, um, I think that would have ruffled some feathers. It, it would have, <laughs> and it should have, but it it just strips so much. It it dehumanizes women in the sense that like they have no problem talking about God as Father, Father God. You would never put those quotation marks around talking about God fathering someone. Like that's just what God does. God fathers, but God also mothers. And to act like we can't talk about that, we cannot, God is not as much of a mother as God is father. Oh, it, like, so where do women come from? Where did we get all of this? How is that? You guys haven't even mentioned it as a part of God. So I can't even say that it's a lesser part of God. Like you guys have stripped it out completely. Mm-hmm. So it's like, where did we even, where did this where did womanhood come from? Where did mothering come from? Is it just this defect of fallen Eve? Like everything about us is just something we constructed that just came out of nowhere. Like by not wanting to link it to God, you just kind of leave it hanging out here. And so we don't really have a place in 
creation. Like we don't really have a part of God. Right. Everything about us is just this fallen, fallen nature mm-hmm. and us doing the best we can, I guess, to, to redeem it. But again, we don't know how. Right. And we don't even know what it's supposed to look like because you guys are so afraid to deal with or dress God, teach about God as mother. So then you're just pulling all these <laughs> male examples mm-hmm. of friendship, of, yeah, of everything. But we're not men. We're not supposed to be like men. But you can only relate to us as men. Or as how we're different than men. And right. how we compliment them. Right. But again, all of this, according to this theology, is just this, this afterthought addition that really has nothing to do with and no place in God, ultimately. Because, yeah, it says nothing. It offers no, you know, lessons directly from God on mothering or what it is to be a mother. No. No. I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, scripture about that besides maybe like the Proverbs 31 woman, which I don't know if that gets mentioned much in this book. I didn't really notice it mentioned in this chapter. (laughs) No, no. Does not make many appearances, but women don't make many appearances. Biblical women don't make many appearances in this book. Right. There was one, and I think we're coming up to it soon, where it's uh, Ruth, Ruth and Naomi. So the next little chunk of this chapter is called my sister, my friend. She starts off with, you know, describing the way women friends have with each other, with being, you know, affectionate and tender and all this kind of stuff. And she says, men don't do this with each other. It is unique to women. And I thought, "Mm, okay, but why? Could it be this homophobic patriarchy idea of masculinity prescribed by the very religion that we're talking about here? I don't know if those are related. Couldn't be. Couldn't be. No. So, yeah, it Mm -hmm. says women friends unabashedly dive into matters of the heart as if. Men never do that as if, right. you know, if, if to use a Christianese term of mixed company, women and men socializing together. I mean, do we, I have a lot of friends of all genders and, you know, we have great quality conversations no matter what, like, okay, maybe some of these guys are not going to understand, you know, the different hormones of my cycle. Okay. But I can still talk to them about like shit that matters. And, you know, just saying like women can only be genuine and authentic and heartfelt in their friendships with other women is kind of sad, I think. And, you know, I've, I've never been married and I just kind of, you know, I've seen marriages of all different styles and personalities and all that. But like the great ones that I see that I 
think very fondly of are, you know, like equals and they're, they have these close relationships where they can maybe share a glance across the room and they both know like, Hey, let's get out of here. Let's whatever, you know? And like, it's that very close relationship. And, you know, Stacy's saying here, like women can be tender and affectionate and we talk deeply with each other, but that doesn't happen with men. <laughs> right. And so of course, you know, pages later when she's going to tell us how to be friends oh yeah she's going to use a man jesus <laughs> like, like you just said how men don't have deep relationships and then <laughs> here's how jesus did friendship and we should do it like this right and you're going to use you know the disciples not any of the women jesus was friends with no. or you know have relationships with it's just going to be the men, even though men don't do friendships like women. Right. Do. Yeah. Jesus and his disciples, they probably just talk sports all the time. Right. <laughs> and, and so be friends like them, but also don't because they don't know how to do mm -hmm. it. <laughs> not like women do. But not like women because <laughs> not like, you know, John you know, laid his head on the breast of Jesus. You know, we don't, we don't have those scriptures. We don't have, you know, the one he loved dearly and all of that. Because mm. men don't know how to do it. No. But <laughs> women do. And, you know, men can never, who but another woman can fully understand pap smears and mammograms, PMS, longing to bear a child and living in a world that feels run by men. And it's like, oh, there are things that men can't experience. Mm -hmm. But the idea that men can't understand these things, also because we don't, we're taught not to talk to them about this. Right. Like, men aren't trusted with this information. Is it because they can't handle it because they don't want to know? Or is it just because, again, patriarchy and misogyny have trained us all not, not to talk about these mm -hmm, things with men? Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> but somehow women are very aware of, what men go through. Well, of course. Uh, we have to be aware so that we don't inadvertently cause them to stumble. <laughs> Which, you know, seems like a lot of responsibility for a stumbling block. Like, <laughs> that's all, all we are. Mm -hmm. And that's all we want to be. I just want to know, am I lovely? I just want men to think I'm lovely. But also, I can't have them think that because now they're stumbled. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's like women, women were an afterthought and a really bad one. Right. Apparently. Yeah. I mean, so many flaws. More trouble than there were. Right? <laughs> yeah. So then um, down below, it gets into another chunk that's called awkward love. And I think this is the first time she uses the word in this chapter, at least opposed for friendship. She says, let me say clearly, true friendship is opposed. And she's talking about, you know, interpersonal dynamics and maybe feelings of jealousy or, you know, feeling like you're not appreciated or any of these other, you know, human things that happen in all relationships. But also that right. the word opposed, I just found so like, 
That's such a strange word to me to be using because even if I have certain dynamics in relationships, I would hope that we feel like we're still like on the same team and we're still like, we both want the best for each other and ourselves. So just that term opposed and she brings it back again later too. So I think there's something about that, that I, I don't quite get. Well, it's, it's also just evangelicalism. I think just making things, always just making things harder than they need to be (laughs) and always just making them more extreme than they are. Like it can't just be that I'm having a bad day and I was a little snippy Mm -hmm. and hurt your feelings. And next time we see each other, we'll talk about it and be like, oh, like, yeah, that wasn't about you. Mm -hmm. My bad. Mm -hmm. It can't just be that. It's the devil himself does not want this friendship to go forward and is opposing it. And now it's, it's a spiritual battle. Yes. Like the spiritual warfare is everywhere, (laughs) everywhere, (laughs) all the time. Mm -hmm. And these demons have nothing better to do than (laughs) make me be snippy with you. Yeah. Well, that's their entire purpose. That was their calling and great commission. We're not, we as women are not the only individuals who try to cause people to stumble. That is also the demons. <laughs> like Even that we can't do on our own. Like, like women couldn't even be trusted to mess that up by themselves. <laughs> we also have to throw demons on it because yeah, these afterthoughts, again, we're not complete thoughts. No, we're just... <laughs> They can only do so much. Mm-hmm. So we've also got to get the demons in here. Yeah. And it's just this, this, you know, this low view of women. Like we can't just, for a woman to enjoy a relationship, she must repent of her need to control oh. and her insistence that people fill her. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot just come, I can't just wander into a friendship. I'm already, something's already wrong and I already have something to repent of. I'm just coming into it just bad already. Well, like, that is kind of the basis no, of the religion, no right? Like we are born into it. So, the, you know, that that checks out. That's the same. And yeah, the need to control is obviously something we need to repent of. I'm not sure if men need to repent of the need to control. I'm going to assume not. That's just there. That's their God-given role. So, yeah. So, yeah, then we come back to Fallen Eve and Redeemed Eve. Yes, so Fallen Eve demands that people come through for her. Hmm, she has some standards. She might have an expectation or two. Oh, no. But Redeemed Eve being met in the depths of her soul by three... Offers to others, free to desire, and willing to be disappointed. The redeemed evening will ask nothing of you because I'm getting everything from Christ. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if Christ ain't giving it to me. I don't need it. Then I don't need it. Right. Or I'm being tested and just needs to wait longer for Christ to give it to me. 
But in the meantime, I don't need to ask or expect anything from you except disappointment <laughs> and that I'm willing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. To take on. I love that Paul and Eve has been wounded and withdraws in order to protect herself from further harm, as if that is a downfall <laughs> or a flaw in her. Dare you. Right? Yeah. And then we have church leaders all the time, left and right, saying they're stepping away from ministry to focus on healing. And like, that's a good thing. Right. But if fallen Eve does that because mm -hmm. she's been hurt, then, you know, that's the sin nature. Right. That's her being fallen. Mm -hmm. Because redeemed Eve knows that she has something of value to offer and that she is made for relationship. And therefore, being safe and secure in her relationship with the Lord, she can risk being vulnerable with others and offer her true self. So again, the only one I can hold responsible is God. But then again, if I ain't getting it from God, then I don't need it. Or, you know, I'm being tested and I'm growing something else. But I have no right to ask anything of any human relationship. Right. Not to expect anything except disappointment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is my lot in life and that is how i know <laughs> i am redeemed and healthy and well mm -hmm. and really fulfilling my role as this godly woman here to take on yeah whatever whatever pains and disappointments you you have for me mm -hmm. i'll take it and be thankful mm -hmm. and i'll Just i'll mother be. you as well yeah <laughs> Because that's what I was created to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then yeah, so. she uses the word opposed again here in a few paragraphs later. And then in the next, I mean, she says, remember, godly relationships are opposed. If you want your friendships to last, you'll need to have the occasional hard conversation. Okay. But why is that opposition? So like we're, right. she said that like, we're jealous of each other and we're opposed. So that's like the best qualities of friendships between women. And she's also saying like friendships between women are like the most like authentic and healthy and true relationships you can have between humans at least. Yeah. <laughs> And the way we're going to show you that is, again, through these friendships of Jesus and his male friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but these are the these are the best relationships you can hope for. And they're messy mm -hmm. and they're opposed and we're jealous of each other and <laughs> we want to control. Like, <laughs> these are the best relationships we can hope for. And they are. Right. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> They're awful. If they are of God, because if you are just sailing along and you're having a great friendship, mm -hmm. if your friendship is not opposed, mm -hmm. then God's not in it. Right. Right. Yeah. You want to be frenemies, really. Like that is really? a godly yeah. relationship. 
And that's how you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that this relationship is of God because it is making me miserable. <laughs> oh, it's so sad, but true. <laughs> and then, of course, back to Jesus, right? So Jesus alone, our truest friend, is the never-ending fount which can slake her thirst. No other source, no other relationship will fully satisfy. So just to come full circle here, you need your frenemies. You need to be constantly mothering everyone in your life. Mm-hmm. Everyone. 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 Yep. <laughs> but don't forget that, you know, the only real relationship is going to be with Jesus. Right. Yeah. With Jesus. And then God will mother us. And then some song lyrics. Yeah. I don't know if I'd ever, you know, heard that or read that before. I don't know. Yeah. And just, I'd, (laughs) I'd never need to read it again. (laughs) this what what I just there are just so many things in the world to choose from and this was the best y'all could do well it does have the word mother in it towards the end so I think Hmm? she probably oh and at the beginning so you know I think when she googled Christian songs about (laughs) God being a mother (laughs) this was the top hit And there it is. Mm -hmm. And there we have it. While our hearts drink deeply and rest in God's good heart, he mothers us so that we continue to become ever more truly who he intends us and created us to be, the women we truly are, a woman who partners with God in bringing forth life in this damaged world, offering, loving, inviting others to become who they were meant to be. She is a mother indeed. She, like God, offers freedom and life. So, so again... This was, yeah, I think the best chapter of this book. (laughs) And still, not great. So, looking at this book from the perspective that everything is permissible, I cannot stop the Eldridges from writing a book about their wonderful thoughts and theories on motherhood. But not everything is beneficial. Did we need this? So, on a scale from 1 to 10, 10, the best book ever, very beneficial, everybody to go and get it, down to 1, harmful for everyone, this was written for, by, and about Fallen Eve, and cannot be helped. Where would you put this book? Okay, so I have two different ratings. So, back when it first came out, and we all first read it, in 2005... I was thinking, Mm -hmm. and you know, that was kind of when I was, I was a teenager, I was 18. It came out eight years after I kissed dating goodbye, which as everybody raised in purity culture knows was huge with, you know, a lot Mm -hmm. of shame and anxiety associated with our human desires, especially romantically. And so I think when this book was written, I think it was an attempt to say, like, you do have these human desires and they're okay and God gave them to you. So I think 
back when it was written, maybe there was like some good intentions there of maybe helping to ease some of that shame that all, you know, all these people are, are in, in the church. So when it was written, mm-hmm. I'm going to give it just a neutral five. Not great, not horrible, because, you know, in the time and the culture in which it came out, I think it brought some feelings of relief to certain people. And so I was going to be generous with a five, right. a five there for that. And then now, rereading it now, I'm also going to still be generous. I'm going to be generous with a three. So like right smack dab in the middle of harmful. So I'm not going to say it's the worst mm-hmm. book ever written. There are, you know, like I said, a few truths and nuggets of, dare I say, wisdom? I don't know. So there's like a couple good things maybe that could come out of it, but it's so intertwined with a lot of harmful ideas. So I'm being generous with a three. So instead of captivating, what is something, book, movie, music, anything, women constructed and or woman focused that you would recommend? Okay, so... I'm late to a lot of things in life, and the show, I guess, came out a couple years ago, and I'm only just now started it. It's called Unorthodox. I don't know if you've seen that. It's on Netflix right now, and so the basic premise, and I guess it's based on a true story, is this Hasidic Jewish woman who leaves, runs away, escapes, and I, you know... Growing up in my own high-control religious culture of origin, the details are fairly different than this woman's story, but there was so much that was like these universal experiences, I think, of deconstructing and leaving your bubble and the culture shock that you experience when you're like leaving everything you've known, everyone you've known behind, basically, and branching out into this real world. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of these experiences, I think, and I'm only, I'm only on the second episode of it. It's a mini series of four, and I'm only on the second episode. But yeah, it was so, like, I just felt very connected to her, even though our stories are quite different. We still had some of these same very similar experiences so i recommend it i think there i mean it can be a little intense so there might be some difficult times in watching it but it is so good so that is what i wanted to share better things much better things yeah um any any closing thoughts final thoughts things you didn't get to say and have to before we finish this out? You know, I guess the only thing I didn't really, really say is just that I am so grateful now for the friendships I have with, well, everybody, but especially women who are or have deconstructed and the conversations we can have. You know, when I left 
I guess, left the church, left my faith, whatever. That was about 15 years ago. And at that time, I had no online community or real life community. Everyone I knew was from the church or from my Bible college or, you know. And so I have found so much richness and in these shared experiences that I think I think it's just wonderful and it is not centered on God. Yeah. <laughs> so you just walking out here with just all opposed friendships. Right. Yep. Yep. All my all my <laughs> frenemies. <laughs> Thank God for frenemies. And that's that. Thank you for dropping in on the Bad Book Club. I certainly hope you had a better time listening than we did reading. Bad Words is an irreverent media podcast, the Legata Scratch production, and a God is not given side hustle. Produced by Janice Legata and made possible by the generous support of Jodley and Jodwilling patrons like... Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. If you're enjoying this season, please let the people know by leaving a rating or a review on the podcast platform of your choice. And if you're looking for a better book experience, ask Amazon about The Grift of God and or The Divide by me, Janice Legata. And until we meet again, take care of you and be well. This has been an episode of Bad Words, but to finish up, here are some good ones. I would say that a lot of these themes that we're talking about with these expectations that have been placed on women for generations upon generations in many cases these narratives that everyone really really truly believed and bought into and upheld and (laughs) propagated and you know i think that is what we need healing from you know these ideas that we're innately wicked and we can't trust ourselves and you know we just want to to sin and all these other things are so harmful and a lot of us you know don't trust our intuitions we don't trust ourselves and we come to books like this for guidance and explaining trying to understand who we are because when we've been told a whole bunch of stuff from other people, but you know, in these cultures, we're not really allowed to examine our own personalities and natures and any of that. Because I think if you start pulling at those strings, a whole lot starts to unravel.